Hi, this is going to be a bit weird. I've recorded an interview with Jim, but my voice was inexplicably lost in the mix. Uh, so I've had to re-record all my questions. Apologies in advance. I hope it comes out sounding something, yeah, not entirely constructed. The first big question, um, which will be edited in later, is just for the listeners at home. Uh, what is your Walcott music? Uh, let me clear my throat by DJ Cool. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah, so, all right. First of all, thank you for coming to talk with me. Appreciate it. No, thank you for inviting me. If you could just tell us who you are and what you do. Right. Uh, I'm Jim Parkin, and I have been... Uh, slowly tinkering with a few small designs that I've released over the last year. Uh, I've been playing and running for several years, but haven't quite dipped my toe into making any content until recently. I believe we met one another on the Questing Beast Discord, though we've interacted also on the OSR Discord. I think it was Questing Beast. Yeah, the, the back channels of the discord and through those uh, various discords i also became a reader of your blog which is d66kobolds.blogspot.com runs under the title of d66 classless kobolds um when you visit um but yeah i'll put links in uh, the description we'll be talking about some of the stuff you put up there because i yeah, the question remains, are they classless because they have no distinction or no manners? I haven't answered that myself. <laughs> They're terribly gauche kabolds. <laughs> no class. So uh, what I've also liked to do, because um, I, I find it's always interesting to hear about how people came into the, uh, mm-hmm. the RPG hobby, if you don't mind. I'd love to hear about your formative experiences, first games you're involved with, or go back as far as you want. Yeah, I actually, uh, I'm probably more of a recent role play gamer, runner, what have you, uh, than a lot of folks in the hobby. Um, I grew up in a family that loved board games, first and foremost. Uh, back, my brother playing Panzer Krieg and Axis and Allies with me. He's much my senior and uh, had access to all sorts of obscure and arcane German war games. And uh, we grew up with that. We had... Uh, Settlers of Catan when it was freshly translated into English for the first time and uh, all the lots. So we we spent much more time uh, playing with more fixed rules, board games, uh, card games. I, I think once I was at a friend's house when I was a kid and I think he had West End Games Star Wars D6 and I played a session we'll call it. I don't think any of us knew what we were doing uh, but it didn't dawn on me uh, for quite a while that I realized where were the pieces for that game? We were just making things up. Uh, and so it wasn't until about 2015 when a good friend of mine, Jason, uh, actually came over. We had a kind of semi-regular board game summit of sorts. And he said, do you want to do something different tonight? And he brought out a fantastic uh, DM screen, which was two CD jewel cases just kind of shoved together with little notes scribbled on the back, which I thought was excellent DIY goodness there. And we played uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, which I had always heard of, but had no clue about. I mean, playing any formal role play game 
was news to me. So we played it. It was fun. It was very different than what I expected. I think I grew up with maybe not quite a stigma towards role-playing games. There was certainly no prohibition. It was just, uh, I don't think I got it. I didn't understand it. I thought it was far more obscure when I realized that really anybody can play um, and create and imagine worlds. So since then, I probably played 5th edition for two years, ran it, uh, really enjoyed running it way more than playing it. I loved just exploring the world and laying out interesting things to do and see. And I realized I don't want to be in control of one person. I want to be the minds of a thousand random nobodies who you'll meet and that precocious goblin behind the stump. Um, and it was probably, I want to say it was 2017. I don't even know where I heard about it. Uh, I can't remember the source, but somebody pointed me in the direction of Matt Finch's premiere on old school gaming, which is that download on Lulu that he has. Uh, and I I had no, like, I didn't know there was old school or new school. I, I had no concept of distinction. Uh, but I read that document, which was basically him going back, and I think it was when he was putting together Osric. And I realized that all the things that I had thought I enjoyed, like big set pieces and very exciting optimizations and lots of fancy shiny buttons to push while playing a game. Like those are great if I'm playing like a video game, which I haven't in quite some time, but I remember what those were like. And Matt Finch was talking about basically just using your imagination and walking down a hallway and actually interacting with it like it's real. And there aren't anything, there are no codified steps to take. Um, and that really changed my whole outlook on RPGs. Um, from there, I don't know. I don't know that I had any one one specific step after that to get towards kind of the uh, OSR world. But um, I've been there ever since. I still I'm still running a fifth edition campaign on my forum that I've had going since like 2016, uh, which has been great. Um, but I've also definitely begun adapting my practice as I've done it. So here I am now. And just briefly, you mentioned there about running a 5th edition game on a forum. Is that a play-by-post? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, over on uh, RPGGeek.com. That's where I, because I've been a part of Board Game Geek forever uh, because of my more established hobby. And then I realized there's a little tab in the corner that says, do you like role-playing games? I clicked on it once and said, oh, what is this world? Uh, Which is perhaps uh, a good footnote to that original 2015 session. I think after I played that game at my house, I went online and thought, is there more to this? What's going on here? And then I saw terms like Labyrinth Lord and Tunnels and Trolls, and I didn't know what any of these things meant, but I just disregarded it until now. And then the paths were connected. And just a a moment ago, you mentioned uh, Matt Finch's old school primer or primer for old school role-playing um, and I think for many people that was a, a reintroduction or, or a revival of this certain mindset and mm-hmm. gaming mm-hmm. style. I recall him mentioning you know if you're going to try and look for a seam in the floor just pour some water out and see where it runs and force the person who's crafting the world to describe what would actually happen and I thought oh, well of course but huh oh a term I also think is pertinent, uh, which I've seen in your blog, uh, I first saw it on Chris McDowell's blog, is uh, 
tactical infinity mm -hmm. yeah i think that was in the the free kriegspiel post that i put out yeah but tactical infinity yeah the concept where ultimately there are unlimited options for you to attempt to solve something and uh i know one of the cornerstones of chris mcdowell's work with bastion landed into the odd is you know we want to give players as much information as they can possibly have that's actually not a bad thing because what's interesting is using that information not hoping you figure out the right way to get to that information if you spend more time trying to find out how to do something next you never actually do it this comes up a lot when people talk about things like perception checks and investigation roles there's a balance between the need to simulate a character's abilities but also hiding uh, information behind a random die roll reduces the number and availability of levers and buttons and environmental features that the players can have their characters interact with. I think this also leads us nicely into the free Kriegspiel thing, which I mentioned in my conversation with Semiurge the other day. So can you tell us a bit more about that, please? I, it's an overwrought term. I, I frankly hate acronyms, and there are far too many acronyms in our hobby. Everybody has several acronyms that they're juggling at any one time. Because um, personally, you know, I don't even think about RPGs or role-playing game, because I those terms, I think a lot of people have stock understandings of what those are, even if they don't really understand what they are, myself included, for the longest time. I like adventure game, because that exactly tells you the ethos of what you're into. Um, and so for Free Creek Spiel, it's a fancy way of uh, referring to, it was German war theory uh, back in the 1800s. And the long and short of it is that as people were putting together simulations and battlefield exercises and using what would become miniatures games, basically, uh, there was hard or firm Kriegspiel, rigid Kriegspiel, one of those, Kriegspiel just being German for war game. When they were trying to figure out how all of these games worked, it was, you know, we have all these rules and all these stipulations and all these modifiers for terrain and things like this. And ultimately they said, it, this, this is just too much cruft. And so Free Kriegspiel was basically offloading all of that onto a referee or an umpire, that they were called, which obviously doesn't that sound familiar when you have a bunch of people interacting with fiction and one person kind of arbitrating it. That's what we're doing. Uh, the idea with Free Kriegspiel was simply that there was like no rules at all. It was solely resting on the judgment and arbitration of the umpire. So as that's brought back for our purposes, talking about these games and this hobby today, the idea is stripping down so many of the abstractions and numbers uh, and terms and things from a game where it's a very high trust thing. So you're just sitting down at the table, you all agree, you know, like what world are we playing in? And then you just proceed to explore as you would normally in another adventure game, uh, another RPG, but doing so really with barely any numerical crunch or um, considerations of like, how do I grapple somebody? Well, you just say you do. Let's like, what's realistic? Are you a little shrimpy guy? And this guy, you know, it's like a 10 foot giant. Well, you're probably not going to do very well. You should think of some other way to do that. Um, so yeah, there's FKR, Free Kriegspiel Roleplaying or Revolution or whatever it's called. Um, I, I loathe using those letters together. I don't like stringing any letters together, really. Um, but uh, I prefer calling it like ultralight gaming 
again, because it kind of conveys that, like we've been talking about rules light for years. That's very much the old school, dare I say, the OSR way. But right, we're used to hearing rules light. But when we think of that, that's still, you know, you've got saves and saving throws and attributes and statistics and a dice throw here against this number plus this number maybe because of this factor and it's not to say that those are wrong i mean i love that stuff uh, but the distinction is for instance like into the odd it's probably my favorite single codified game and that's very bare bones that's as rules light as it gets and really is very close to this ultra light free creek spiel thing but even then, you, you describe your character, you've got three statistics, you're making rolls against those statistics, they tend to define statuses that you have during the game. Uh, free Creek should really be like, uh, my guy's strong. Everyone knows what strong means. I don't know what 18 strength means, right? Uh, so that's more of it just being so natural and loose. And some people hate it and always will, and that's fine. I, I've tended to like it quite a bit. Uh, I think I kind of accidentally ended up there uh, without even realizing it when I was putting together uh, Any Planet is Earth, which was a little science fiction game that I wrote when I was reading Traveler and back to the original editions and reading all of Mark Miller's notes uh, where he was basically saying, I just have somebody describe what they're like and then they go on a ship in space and that's the game. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that sounds great. There's a few things I could pick up on there, but I think, since you mentioned it, uh, seems like a good point at which to mention any planet is Earth, which is your ultralight or ultra-rules-light hard sci-fi game. Yeah, whatever hard sci-fi really means, but yes. <laughs> let's, let's debate that, because no one has the right answer. So yeah, give us an overview of any planet is Earth. Where does the name come from again? So yeah, it's from uh, Pebble in the Sky, which was a story from Isaac Asimov. And if I recall correctly, the the statement from which I grabbed it was, any planet is Earth for those who live on it, uh, which I thought was very evocative. I've always loved Asimov. I love that era of science fiction, um, Robert Heinlein, and then later like William Gibson getting into like the cyberpunk stuff. But yeah, any planet of Earth, I... I was looking at Into the Odd, again, I I use it as a touchstone many times, and I thought, I don't really know anything about original D&D. I've never played it. I mean, I've read all sorts about it, but I've never played it. But it's commonly said that Into the Odd took something from that and and kind of stripped away everything that wasn't necessary and left only the little bit that was. And I was reading Traveler. Uh, Again, I played a lot of the later editions of Traveler, but it was just, it's like, you know, do you want a foot and a half of books to go with your game? I don't. I thought I did years ago, but that's absolutely not true anymore. Uh, I'd like maybe half a page, maybe a note card with a coffee stain on it. Big Traveler, I went back to Classic Traveler. I thought, well, what's the original look like? Play that and ran that a bit. And it's so simple. You know, Effectively, the game is throw, throw two six-sided dice against a target number, and that's the game. Um, I, I've had a lot of detractors online when I've talked about Traveler that way because they go, well, what about all the skills and what about all the backgrounds and what about all this and what about the rules for uh, if you have 8 million kilograms of cattle in your cargo bay and then you try to jump at... And I'm like, I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> Traveler to me was 2d6. Uh, pick a number. The thing that I didn't like about it was when you do look at the skills and all that stuff and you realize, oh, I've got to figure out a dice modifier to add to this roll. So like, yeah, I'm going to roll 2d6 against 
11 because it's hard because the referee said so. Okay, uh, what's my shotgun skill? Is it plus three? And then how far away am I? Is that one or two? And I realized I went right back to what I didn't like a lot about modern big super heroic fantasy stuff RPGs of today that are very overwrought with like, oh, let's go consult the book and figure out exactly what all these factors are. So I got rid of the dice modifiers. I said, what does Traveler look like if you just don't use any dice modifiers? It still looks like Traveler. And uh, then I went further and thought, what if we don't even take the time to figure out what the target is? Just pick a number that's always present. Uh, and I talked to a few folks on Discord and on RPG Geek. We were talking about it. And I realize we do still want to give some mechanical nudge towards players having agency over like what they're good at um, because you can go totally diceless uh, which is fun but ultimately I like at least something to hook on to so we said well you roll 2d6 against 7 if you're good at something if you have any advantage whether it's an item your positioning your background a skill you know dirt on the guy you're talking to whatever and if you don't it's nine. And then throw. There you go. And I actually do have diceless combat in that game because I had enjoyed the idea of taking out so much of the randomization of combat to where you just had to work with what your gut tells you. Um, I was thinking again about what does Into the Odd look like. Well, they, you know, Chris's work there was kind of infamous at the time when it came out because he did the automatic damage. There was no hit roll. If you're in a fight, you're going to get hurt at the end. So I thought, well, what if, what if it's not just no damage or no to hit? There's no damage roll either. Just assume if you're in a fight, everyone, everyone's going to get messed up, especially if you're on a spaceship and a guy's got a shotgun and somebody's got a knife hiding behind a crate, you know, and you're in uh, some sort of vac suit coming in through the airlock. Uh, it's just so volatile and dangerous. So rather than say we're going to have dice over here and dice over there and randomizers just describe the scene you know you got a guy up here you know that he's got a beat on you and there's a small stairwell between you and where he's standing there's also a bunch of crates here what are you going to do you know he's going to shoot you if you don't do anything and i think that certainty is part of what i like about that approach um because you're leaving any randomization that's going on is just based on the intuition of the people involved and playing it seriously um, some don't like it. That's fair. I, I understand why you don't. Uh, but I've had a lot of fun with this game, and it's been very adaptable. Um, yes, it's for hard sci-fi. I still have, like, jumps to another planet system in there, so I guess that's not really hard. Again, what, what is hard sci-fi? I just mean, like, edging more towards the Expanse than Star Wars. That works for me. I certainly don't want anyone sitting there being like, what is the physics of this jump that we're about to take? Can we get out the... You know, I'm not playing High Frontier. I, I, I still want to just skip past that stuff. Yeah, and with all due respect, if that's what you're into, then... Actually, it's quite funny then, because you mentioned, just when you mentioned about um, firing a shotgun in, in, a, in an enclosed you know, area of a spaceship or whatever, it really reminded me, I've, I just received today a copy of those dark places kind of a rules light sci-fi game and uh it's like all 1d6 and just with a couple of modifiers but just as we're having this conversation i was thinking yeah this would probably be too crunchy for jim <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, like I said, I, I'm still even, I mean, I'm still running fifth edition D and D like, uh, for, and, and even that, you know, it's not nearly so ridiculous as the middle editions of that game were all things considered. And there's still a lot of leeway for good realism. I think it's just more, it's, you know, I think the, any planet of earth, free Creek spiel, ultralight stuff, it has more to do with cultural expectation of what's happening at the game table than it does with the rules in the book. And I think a lot of people in the last several months, as this has become more popular to talk about, have I think conflated things that aren't related to each other. Like, yeah, the idea of this FKR role playing, it is much more about just going with the rulings that come out of the referee. But ultimately, the spirit is like, are you just being realistic with what's going on? Because you can totally have people who are of godlike strength destroying a dragon with their thoughts. That could still be done in a way that is abstracted, not by numbers and not by, uh, you know, gritty concepts but just by what makes sense in the context sometimes that i mean you could boil it down to that um now that lends itself to if that's what we're going with then why all this stuff in a book or on a character sheet why even use dice sometimes but there you know that too is a scale it could be either way uh, yeah with a lot of people it's like if we have dice introduce randomization and in some ways that makes it into a game right as in uh you know not not just um i don't know maybe i think it's a lot of it is to do with and this is me playing pop psychologist but maybe it's like people aren't entirely comfortable about sitting down and just going yeah we're just making stuff up right they're like well i'm an adult and i don't play pretend i have a reputation to maintain that i am a responsible adult and i don't I don't make stuff up. And the thing is, it's so funny is like, ultimately it, it didn't take me to the point when I started kind of designing things and at least putting something down on paper. It wasn't until I started telling a lot of stories with my kids and realizing like, it is so much fun to just have a shared story. Like we just pick up where we leave off. I mean, we're not, we're not really doing anything in the story. We're just telling what happens back and forth. Um, just taking turns in terms of who's telling the story tonight so we're not it's not a group thing per se but it dawned on me that i have so much fun coming up with these stories and these characters and this narrative and it's because it's pretend like we play we all we were that's just a human thing it's not an age thing i think it was c.s lewis who had a great statement about uh, not wanting to ever put away his childish things being told to be a respectable adult not because he isn't a respectable adult but because play is not childish play is human um and and it took very much looking at my kids and realizing the imagination in their little heads is already more than enough to do what we're doing and frankly what I'm doing is probably taking myself too seriously when I do whatever I do. So getting to this, we're just playing pretend as adults around a table. Well, why not? Um, and, and that actually dovetails very nicely into the series of posts you've you've written on uh, on your blog about the uh, games you've you've run with your son. Can you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about the how you set this up? Some of the the games you've run with him. Yeah. So I, yeah, as I said, we've we've done kind of back and forth collaborative storytelling and i have a young daughter who's three who chimes in as well but it's mostly my son who's five Uh, we started probably a year ago and uh we had kind of a a cinematic universe of our own design which mostly had to do with hot dog salesmen in san antonio texas i'm not sure where that came out but that has become lore and it is it is foundational we've got a we got a whole business of competing food trucks in texas and it just keeps going and uh, 
So I kind of was like, I mean, part of having children anyway, I realize I just want to include them in my hobbies because I want more people to do my hobbies with, <laughs> which is selfish, uh, but also very honest. Like we have a big wall of board games. I'm like, soon, soon I'll have a third player instead of just losing to my wife, no matter what I play. Uh, at least more fodder for the table for her to destroy. Um, but at any rate, I thought, I want to play an adventure game, a role-playing game with my son. And I read all the time, people, how do I get my kids into RPGs? How do I get my kids to play this? It's so complicated. Uh, and I'm like, sure. I mean, if you're trying to you know, figure out your prestige, your prestige class passage through the 14th level uh, and what feats you should consider, well, yeah, your five-year-old's not going to get that. <laughs> you know what they do get? Hey, uh, so there's a door at the end of this hallway and you can hear something on the other side. What, do you, what happens next? That's what they get. And frankly, that's what I want to get. And so I started and I took Into the Odd and effectively gutted it at the beginning of the year. And actually, this may be the real turning point for when I thought, are other people doing what I'm doing? Which leads back to our earlier conversation, uh, was realizing like, okay, even, th even this, like, uh, here's a handful of dice, roll them when I tell you to, he's not going to know what's going on with that. Um, you know, hey, what's your will score? And tell me how you're going to react when you lose three points of it. Even that is too much. So we, I, I dusted off Caverns of Thracia, which is so fun. Such a great old classic. And I just established that it was him, and he had two friends who I made bare-bones character sheets for, just kept it all to myself anyway. He can't read, so he doesn't know. Um, and just, yeah, set that up and said, what are you going to do? Here, there are three ways to get down below the earth here. There's a little hole that you could probably tie a rope to on a rock. There's a big staircase that looks dusty. And there's a small staircase that doesn't look dusty. What do you want to do? And ultimately, he thought, well, if it's not dusty, then it means somebody's been there, and I don't want anybody to know I've been here. Bingo. So he ties the rope and drops down into the dank little hole, down way into the like ritual chamber of this old cult. But again, I don't have to be like, oh, and there's human sacrifice going on, so now we're going to describe this. No, but I can say there's some, there, there's some sketchy things going on here, and it seems pretty scary down here, but you see a light at the end of the tunnel. Everything else is dark. He's like, well, I don't know if I trust that light because I don't know who's down here. And again, there you go. Like, you can, you get it. You can figure out how to delve this dungeon without killing yourself in the first five minutes, and you're five. And it was wonderful. We played three or four sessions of that. I mean, he got to the point where he strapped a bomb to a bear and then ran it into like a room filled with a rabid wolverine that was the guardian of this, you know, the tribesmen or cultists or whatever. And he's like, I think the bear can take the wolverine in a fight. I'm like, well, you also put a bomb on it. He's like, oh yeah, that'll work. <laughs> uh, so uh, he, he did that. It was great. You know, like, and, and, and this the expectations too. I think we often talk about being tired of tropes and things that are in a lot of classic genres are we going to run Tolkien D&D again? Forgotten Realms, whatever. You know, it's all so boring. And I'm like, well, it's boring because we know how it all happens, but not everyone knows how it happens. You get somebody who's never played a game before, 
or who doesn't even know what the setting is like, or you get a five-year-old who's like, I don't know how any of this works. That's the best person to have at your table every time because you don't have to tell them, check your expectations, change your expectations, mold your expectations. Oh, you're going against what we expect. No, there are no expectations. I think that's a really good point, and it's not something I thought about uh, before. But it is a lot like a, when a child goes to another child's house and they take an action figure with them, maybe a Ninja Turtle. They don't have the full set. Their friend does a Transformer. And they just kind of like join them together without worrying about um, things being canon or, you know. Absolutely. Right. Because I've got it. But I have. Yeah. And the other games that we have played together uh, was like making up a Star Wars game because uh, he, he watched A New Hope for the first time earlier this year. And beyond that, doesn't know anything about Star Wars except for you know, mass marketing for Baby Yoda. Uh, so and it's great, too, because the last question is like, what happens to Darth Vader? He didn't die at the end of that movie. Is there another movie? Like, I haven't even told him there are other movies because why does he need to know that until I go, hey, guess what? we're going to watch another Star Wars movie tonight. And his head explodes. There's another one. So we, we played what I, again, in this, this milieu of very ultra light, tiny, easy to run things, use your imagination. Uh, it was galaxy far away. was just the name that I ripped out of the opening crawl. And again, I, I gave him next to nothing to go with. Like all he knew were the very broad touch points of what Star Wars looks like. There are ships, there's a droid, somebody can use the force i don't even know what the force really does but it's a thing and it's cool and their big music swells when anybody touches it and reaches out with it um and i said yeah you have to go into this space station and steal some fuel for the rebel fleet from the empire and what turned into one of those great you know like uh trying to think of a, a film where this scene comes up they were on a turbo lift with a stormtrooper it's like this in, this rebel insurgent cell he and his crew the stormtrooper there and i could picture you know like girl from ipanema playing in the background of this turbo lift because he's having this very strained awkward conversation with me as the stormtrooper like obviously trying to get him to blow his cover and he's very trying not to be you know exposed uh yeah almost almost like a tarantino scene <laughs> blues brothers in their elevator that might have been what i was thinking of but at any rate you know like the, i i didn't i had no notes i had no expectations i didn't even make a map i just said there's a space station there's a room with two guards in front of it in there somewhere is the fuel you need then you have to get out uh and ultimately i had more fun figuring that out with him for an hour and a half than i've had at a lot of times running a game or playing anything uh, and it's just it's easy and I don't want to make it sound like it's effortless and it's flawless because it doesn't work for everybody sometimes I mean I have nothing against anybody who wants a little more uh, infrastructure to lean back onto and that's a nice thing we have such a array of games and products and styles and approaches and ideas uh, but ultimately it's been such a breath of fresh air saying what could I cut rather than what can I add how many darlings can I kill today? How many golden calves can I melt down? When I recently shared the um, post you made to accompany the Galaxy Far Away uh, game that you made, I'm on a Discord server. In fact, it was on the Garblag Games server on its um, Star Wars channel. I shared it as like a really nice rules-like uh, way to play 
or create your own fictions within the Star Wars universe. And I'd done a word count, um, so I was able to say, oh, look, this is all here for in fewer than 2,000 words. And one of the comments I got was, why, why do I need 1,400 words to tell me how to use my imagination? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I say more power to that statement, absolutely. Because the correct answer is you don't need any words, really. Go with your gut. That's cool to hear you say that. Um, but I was going to add, like, one, what was nice about the 1,400 words that you did write was there were so many adventure seeds in there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you've got a little bit of a randomizer to say, here you go. And within that short passage, you've got a resolution mechanic very simple like a posed roll 2d6 thing you've then got the uh dark side and light side of the force kind of counter flip thing going on and then mm-hmm. ideas for some scenarios to start with and equipment and stuff and it's like bam perfect right yeah it's funny because i i find that it's <laughs> it's much harder for me now that i'm thinking like i've got a few titles that i've released and people like them more than i thought they would but i should like bake things for them then you know put out supplements or adventures or whatnot and I don't mind the writing, and I certainly enjoy the process, but I realize I I never really run a game like from a module like that. It's actually kind of hard to make one because I'm not totally positive what is the most useful because I always just like, where are the tables? What can I roll against? And then just go from there. Give me, give me a list of keywords and a way to f- pick one at random, and then that's the game. So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that, and it's been fun to see it. That's my most viewed blog post, I believe, was that. Probably just because it's got Star Wars in the name and then people come out of the woodwork for that uh, into my strange lonely corner of the blogger internet yeah it's always a surprise when you have a post that you might not think will do so well and it kind of becomes you know a big big hit or whatever people do a lot of players a lot of games masters do want to have more support for setting up and running adventures or campaigns or whatever I mean this is something like after I put like pariah out which is really much 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 too long given what we've been talking about here (laughs) a lot of people have been saying when are you going to do an adventure or a campaign or something like that yeah i get what you're saying because there's so many systems you know and so many things and i often start with some great seeds but a lot of the time i mean and for me that's enough like i'll pick up bastion land and i think wow there's so much most of that book is all just about failed careers of Mm-hmm. of the PCs but there's so much world building that goes into that you could roll up a party of four and suddenly you've got like a whole universe like around you could know nothing about you'd not look in any other section of that book and you put four random failed careers and you're like what does this story come out of exactly and that's that's wonderful I love that emergent nature uh, and that's yeah I'd always rather say don't make me tell you how to do this just like look at this table and pick a few things you connect the dots yeah for sure but a lot of the time um, people people um, do struggle with that and they uh, I was talking to someone recently who had uh, hypertellurians and they said I just would really have liked to have uh, a bit where um, someone just showed me how to put all of this together like how I could then make this into a game and I think, oh, it got me thinking I, I don't know what the answer to that is maybe it is just like there's two different ways of doing things you know and you've just got to play Mm -hmm. and i mean i think i i don't know that i could put a finger on it but i've certainly learned how to do that better over the years i don't know how i think it's mostly just osmosis it's like you become a better writer if you read a lot of books i think you become a better referee whatever you want to call it just by 
doing it, which is always advice no one wants to hear when they'd prefer to, you know, what's, what are the three things I need to do? And, and again, yeah, you mentioned that like uh, system mastery is very, it's a, that's a terrifying phrase to a lot of people. And I actually don't like it because it assumes that you must master it to do it. Ultimately, no, you could, you should be a system novice most of the time. My, you know, my five-year-old doesn't know anything about how a game should be run, but just steps out and does it. Great. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. And um, sometimes it just, it just needs to keep going. Definitely. I mean, I'd say that was a good place to end because we've gone on a bit longer than I planned. But I want to get you just to mention uh, or say something about um, Weird North before we... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, part of the eclectic Bastion Jam, which was the little design bonanza that went on itch.io, I think it was in July or August, I don't recall. But it was for it was after, it was after Chris released Electric Bastion Land. And I, I mean, I do love... The, the the bastard setting and everything that's there, but ultimately I still like the kind of the cleanness of Into the Odd, its predecessor, better because it's just it, that's such a. I mean, if you ignore all but one page of that book, that's all that you need in terms to do it. It's like a table; you roll against it and then you just go. So I I thought I love Into the Odd, but I wanted I I really you know people talk about the appendix N of D and D and they've got all the old pulp fantasy stuff. And I really do love those books. I grew up reading them. So Jack Vance and Fritz Lieber and, uh, you know, the Conan the Sumerian stories before he was Conan the Barbarian. Getting that street cred in there because you read him when he was a Sumerian. Uh, and I just thought, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Conan hipster. Um, but like Jack Vance's Dying Earth. I mean, these are things we know about, but I really wanted to just write a little love letter to it um, and adapt uh, like a a magic system for Into the Odd that wasn't overwrought, but is actually extraordinarily dangerous and horrible, and you should never touch it. It's like a live wire sticking out of the ground. So I thought that fits sword and sorcery perfectly, where like everything is a threat and everyone is surviving. No one thrives. The only person who's doing really well in the world is like a s- snake monster. Uh, who's probably got some sweet robes and a lot of gold. Um, so yeah, so Weird North, uh, in a nutshell, is is basically into the Otter Electric Bastion Land as adapted for sword and sorcery. And so I also wanted to put it together, and it's not just you know so many hacks, which nothing against them, but so many hacks of games are like, here's an idea, and I've changed two things. Here you go. Again, that's great. I use those all the time. I make them up all the time. But I wanted it to be like a toolkit that somebody could get and in a wholesale experience be able to build like a whole world and campaign so there are a lot of tables in the back i took from the black hack they're great like pick up one of every normal die and roll them and consult all those individual sub tables and boom you have this really nuanced result i love that i adapted it shamelessly for my own product um and then the the magic is you know kind of like yeah you can tap into this artifact but you have to kind of save your willpower against the corruption of the world. And early results on this big table that it's linked to are great. And it's like, oh, cool. Now my fingertips glow in the dark and I can use that to my advantage. But then you just keep milking that corruption and that number gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And every time you do something with it, you have to keep increasing it. And all of a sudden, you know, people are terrified because you walk past them and they have nightmares and your friends are plotting to kill you and they're not but that you certainly think they are or you know you just turn into a pillar of salt or something like that (laughs) because you've you've delved too deeply 
that's great magic, and that very fits with the decadence and strange danger of sword and sorcery. Um, so I was picturing, especially uh, the last thing I'll say is I think of like every every character that Jack Vance came up with was just an idiot. They were a foolhardy moron. They always thought they could do more than they could. You know, it's like every story is somebody who thinks. I'm safe from this. And then the conclusion is, and here's the horrible way in which he died. <laughs> here's where he went wrong. You get the Ron Howard arrested development announcer voice over there. It wasn't. So uh, that's, that's weird North. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. I, I also played around. I learned a lot more about formatting and layout. So that document just looks better. Any planet of earth looks terrible. And I can't wait to redo it now that I actually have some semblance of, acumen using like affinity so that'll look better i promise anyone who thinks it looks like garbage it does it's very cramped and ugly and juvenile well that would bring me to my final question which would be um what do you have in terms of projects on the horizon sure um I want. I'm still trying to figure out how to do Weird North in print because Drive Through RPG has been in limbo for so long. Between them being behind, and then COVID, and then the holidays, now it's like it's purgatory. I'll probably never see those files come out. So I'm looking around for other ways to uh, get that in print because I would love to hold my own book and have it available for anybody who wants it. Um, I do want to do kind of a version two of Any Planet Is Earth clean that up, expand it, definitely improve the format and keep the game as simple as it is, but add more examples. You know, a lot of people have been like, so uh, what does diceless combat look like? Like I should probably put an example in there uh, and more tables because I love the tables and the toolkit. Um, and maybe I'll make that just long enough to justify a little booklet print as well. Um, and then I want to work on um, kind of general mini modules for Weird North, especially, because there's just so, so much creativity that could be tapped in there. Like right now I'm running a play-by-forum game, play-by-post of uh, this kind of slapdash mini setting I came up with, which is just like the dank morass, this just awful swamp that the characters find themselves in. Um, and in fact, I consulted my son on the design of the concepts there. I'm like, here's, here's what the world looks like what would be in a swamp? And uh, he's like, what if there is some old tower? I'm like, well, yeah, you should always have an old tower. Everything should have an old tower. That's just, that is fantasy. Uh, and I, I said, so is it going to be like a dark evil tower? And he's like, no, it's going to be a dank tower. I said, do you, do you mean dark tower? He's like, no, dank tower. Well, absolutely straight faced I'm like dank tower it is and that that was like that's all I needed to build this whole little swamp setting filled with alien dinosaurs and snake people and uh, didn't need much so I want to flesh that out I want to then you know figure out the best way to kind of quickly model that scenario maybe like a point crawl and just here are the regions here are the major players here's what somebody might ask you to do and then I want to deliberately, for my own impetus, put on those maps exit destinations that are like leading to other large areas. I don't know what those areas are yet, and I don't know what they look like, but I want to use that as like, 
this swamp is connected to these mountains and the plains over here and this like awful inferno plane. And then later figure out what's in that inferno plane and then be like, oh, if you're there, by the way, you can go to the swamp in this corner. Um, so kind of organically build it that way. I don't have a big plan, but I'd love to do it uh, in such a way that it's like everything is a different chunk of classic sword and sorcery theming. So like, this is the awful swamp where the dinosaurs and the snake people live. Then I want to do like, you know, here are the fields with have monoliths and obelisks everywhere and like cyclopean things and bat monsters. And here's one over here where there are a bunch of undead necromancers who are alive from the last age. They never left and they've got sweet technology and probably drive Porsches. But they're all, you know, horrible liches too because they're undead. Um, and just be like, here's what this is like. Here's what this is like. You know, if you want a little slice of this flavor, go over to this module uh, and make it very deliberately caricatured for ease of accessibility. Hmm. As soon as you said the the map of like uh, the Dank, Dank Tower and surrounding swamps and then these other areas marked off for potential future. The great thing about that though, it's like, it's a little bit like what you were saying with them. Um, uh, you showed your son the first Star Wars film. He's only that one movie and he's got no idea of where it's going to go but in his imagination he's thinking so many possibilities and people who, who pick up uh, that supplement the first time they're going to come up with their own stuff and then you're going to come up with a t something totally different and they're going to like okay so how can I put these things back together and yeah it's just totally. kind of continual creativity that's what's just so fun about this, this hobby. Mm -hmm. so hopefully I'll, I'll roll things out like that and I'm not sure about the pace, but it'll be fun to do it whenever I get time to do it. For sure, and uh, obviously I'll, I'll be, you'll be keeping us abreast of that on Discord and stuff. But when you do get something, uh, maybe you'll come out, uh, come back, and have another conversation. And I'd love to. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for coming. And uh, yeah, I'll probably see you on Discord in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Very likely. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Sophia. Yeah.